pray. Father, we just want to say thank you once again, Lord, for the opportunity that we get to spend some time together and, and learn more of you and what you may have for us in our lives. And uh, we just want to honor you with all that we do. We pray, Father, that uh, you would continue to bless Pastor Henry and the elders as they spend time together figuring out what it is that you have for us as a church and what you're doing in their lives. Bless them, bless their families, uh, bless their spouses, bless all that they do. Continue to grant them favor and grace over them, Lord, and just pray for your blessings to continue upon them, Lord, because of the sacrifice that they're making to honor you and to bless our church. Just thank you for the opportunity. I just empty myself of me and get rid of me, Lord, so that you would come through and, and that your spirit would move and, and have its way, Lord. I just surrender my heart, my mind, my words to you, Father, that it would uh, impact your people and it would be on land on good ground. We just want to say thank you again for this time. We love you. We praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you guys here. Um, it's always a blessing to be able to, to share God's word with all of you. And it's, it's always an honor. And uh, just say thank you to Pastor James. And I know that him and the elders are, are spending some time together and, and trying to get the, the year going for us as well. So that's always an honor. I'd like to start off this message by asking you all a question um, that I asked two of my sons. And I said, uh, boy, I have three sons, but the other one wasn't there. And so my middle one and my eldest, Jonah and Jacob, I asked them, I said, boys, would you prefer a hard life or an easy life? And like instantly the hard life. And I looked at my wife and I were like, easy life. <laughs> we want an easy life, please. Because like there's something to be said, right? If, if you've lived a life of struggle, at some point or another, or if you've experienced that enough, you're like, hey, uncle, <laughs> give me some easy life over here. Because you've realized throughout the years of how difficult that could be, right? The, the struggle, the stress, the tension, all that comes with that. And sometimes it's like, okay, like, yes, I get it. But something within me sometimes says, man, I wish I had it just, just a little easier. And I think some of us would say the same as well, right? We might be saying, like, man, I've had enough of the, of the hard life, quote, unquote. I'd rather have some of a, a little bit of the easy life. But how, the, no matter what it's, we're going through, the factors impacting either the ease or the difficulties in our lives, in my opinion, are relative. Because what might be difficult for me might be a breeze for some of you. Some of you might have gone through such hardship that when you hear someone complaining about their own, it's like, what are you talking about, man? It's like, man, it's, it's easy for you or vice versa, right? You might be hearing someone going through these struggles and you're like, oh my God, how do you, how do you smile? How, how are you coming to church and lifting your hands up and saying, God, you're so good? How, how, how do you do that? How are you able to have this reflection of God's glory and his joy and his peace, knowing full well what that individual has gone through, right? And so it's, it's, sometimes it's, it's relative. You know, I, I have found that some may have it more difficult than others. No matter what your circumstance may be, 
You look at someone else and you're like, man, I don't know why I'm complaining. I don't, I don't really know why I'm choosing to say, man, I, because I, I, I don't know if I really have it that hard. But growing up, I never thought that I was poor. I never thought that we were a family in need because I had friends, believe it or not, that had it far worse than me. Because I look at them and be like, oh, brother, they are poor. Or as someone would say, they're poor. They couldn't even afford the R. And so <laughs> when my parents, sometimes my parents would send me to Mexico. And when I would go to Mexico in the summer, man, I would see some extreme poverty there. And when I would see that, I'd be like, oh, man, like, yeah, they, they have it far worse than me. And it appeared that some just had it far worse than others from a financial or materialistic part, even in the midst of even that poverty. Even some would find the good in whatever circumstances they were in. I would meet some of the sweetest, most kind, most like full of joy people in the midst of like they had nothing, nothing. And I'm like, man, now, now that I'm older, I can realize like, wow, there, there's some serious contentment there with respect to what God has, has done. And that's why I love what Paul said to the Philippians in chapter 4. Let's read this real quick. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. I realized there was a secret to this thing. There's a secret of being content in any and every situation. I'm like, what? There is. He says, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him, through him who gives me strength. And then he says, yet it was good of you to share in my affliction. So that no matter what Paul has gone through, he's learned to be content in any and all situations. Man, I can't wait to get there. That's, that's my truth. Because I know that I don't necessarily handle the affliction part of my walk in Christ when I'm in, in need or where, when I'm in want. Man, I handle the plenty part awesome. I'm, I'm good at that part. Like, I can be in a good mood and feel good about myself and how I look and how I feel and all these feelings, right? But the moment the struggle, the setback, the stumble comes my way, that's when the true test comes to play, right? And that's when we can find true contentment, if we can find true contentment, when we're going through those struggles. And then Paul says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. I recall that when I was in high school, during Thanksgiving and Christmas, it was one of my, my, one of my fondest memories, and not because I got stuff, because we really kind of didn't celebrate any of that stuff growing up. Um, but during this time, when I was in high school, we would get like these boxes of food delivered to our house. And I didn't think anything about it, right? I was just like, 
oh, this is awesome. Our cupboards are full. It'd be like one of the only times our cupboards would be full. And when you're um, 11 people living in this tiny home, any kind of food is awesome. And it would be like the first time that we ever tasted like Frosted Flakes or, or some of like the good cereal. All we had was Corn Flakes. We'd put like half a pound of sugar just to get a little bit of flavor in, in there. That's just how it was. Um, and, and I'd get, you know, we'd get full of boxes and all that. And I was just like, man, this is awesome. And then I became a teacher. And so I started teaching. And when I started teaching, we had some announcements there on the campus saying, hey, we're going to help our needy families. We're going to help those that are in need. And I came home and I'm like, babe, we're... We, we got to help them. We got to help some people. And we got a bunch of goodies and cans and food and put them in the bag. And there I go, take it to the drop-off center. I open the door and there they are. The boxes I, we used to get. And then it just hit me and I said, what? We were poor? Wait, what? I was, I was so shocked. I was so shocked because I'm like, I wasn't poor. There's no way. Because in the back of my mind, I knew that there were families that had it far worse than I did. Far worse than I did. But we were one of those families in need. And it was, it was so, it, was, it hit me like a ton of bricks, understanding that, man, I grew up in that kind of environment. And in my mind, I didn't think that I had that. I had no idea that I was a needy family or, or in a needy family. There were so many struggles, and I guess some would say that growing up, I, I may have had a, a hard life, if you will. Um, frankly, I'm not sure that I'd want to go through that again, if, if I'm being honest. But I know that God had and still has a plan and purpose for my struggle, for your struggle for your setback, for your stumble. There's still a plan for that. Whether that may have been realized already or it's still a work in progress, God still has a plan for all of it. All of it. It's all been part of his plan. Yes, even the bad stuff. Even the bad stuff. Vic, what you're saying? That the yeah, even the quote unquote bad stuff. You know, trying to teach our boys, Esmeralda and I, trying to teach our boys um, the importance of hard work, the importance that everything in life is, is earned, and most importantly, that keeping God first has always been a priority um, for us in teaching our sons. And we're blessed because, you know, our boys didn't necessarily have to go through some of the struggles that we went through, I guess, but they still had to go through their own struggles. And what they went through may not perhaps be what we went through, but nonetheless, our young people are still going through struggles. They're still battling things that perhaps we may not even understand. And it's sometimes it's just as difficult for them. Understanding that difficulties will be conti a continued part of our lives no matter what. It's a never-ending thing. Never-ending now, if you've been alive on this earth for any amount of time, you have experienced some difficulties, some struggles, stumbles, or setbacks at some point or another. And just like me, it's possible that you're experiencing them right now. 
that you're going through some difficulties right now, some hard times. And if I'm being honest, I'm sometimes conflicted by this. Because sometimes I feel that, man, I'm a, I'm a Christ follower, man. I shouldn't be going through this stuff, right? I mean, don't, don't, do you not think that? You know, like sometimes it's like, hey, God, why did I have to go through all this stuff, you know? In John chapter 16, verses 31 through 33, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's having a conversation with them. And he's saying, hey, guys, do you now believe do you now believe? He says in 32, it says, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered. And the word scattered means to disperse, to dissipate, to separate, or to distance yourself. And here is Jesus talking to his disciples saying, look, a time is coming when you are going to disperse. He goes on to say, or to scatter, each to your own home, you will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. In verse 33, I'd like to read this together. Here we go. One, two, three. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And it's interesting that he's saying the word peace first. He's saying, look, I am granting you peace. That's given to you free of charge. You have peace because he's preparing our hearts for what's happening right after that part of the verse, right? Because he reminds us, he says, you are going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. So let me remind you that you have peace. You have peace. It's given to us. It's ours. Because you are going to have trouble. And so how many of us through our journey in Christ truly believe that nothing bad would ever happen to us? At some point or another, you know, you maybe perhaps you thought, man, not, I don't know about this Christian walk or this Christian thing or this following of Jesus thing. I've had nothing but problems ever since I came to this, to this thing. And I'm sure many of us have thought that or even perhaps still do at one point or another. And then these bad things happen, circumstances or situations that make life really, really difficult. Relationships, family, work, the loss of a loved one, these circumstances that happen in our lives that overwhelm us. And perhaps, just perhaps, we begin to question God, right? It's like, why God? Why, why, why did you let this happen to me? Why did you let this happen to me? And I have trouble with this sometimes. I really do. Because this idea that, you know, I get to question God, you know, I, that, I, that I get to, to question, you know, the all-knowing, the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the almighty. I, 
I don't know if I even allow myself to even go there because it's like, well, who am I? Who am I to question God's plan? Who am am I to question what God has for me when I know, just like we sang earlier, that he makes all things work together for our good. But when we're in the middle of all of that, it's so difficult. So no matter how frustrated, hurt, pain it may be, his plan is always the right plan. Again, this does not mean that we may not experience times of doubt, times of frustration. But as soon as we're done with our, our pity party, so to speak, um, where it's like, I don't, I don't understand why this is happening or, or what is happening to me. You know, I, I know I come to my senses and I say, Father, I know you're in control. I know that you are in control. And you want to know why? Because we're not promised a life without struggles. That's not promised to us. It is not promised to us that we will not have struggles. We, we are not promised a life without setbacks. We are not promised a life without stumbles. We are not promised of life without struggles. He says, we are going to have trouble. Again, Jesus tells his disciples, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Because in this world you will have trouble. So the message, the title of this message is, well, what if? What if this trouble is the precursor to some incredible opportunities that God has for you? And listen, oftentimes these these opportunities that God has for you, I'm going to be honest with you, they're not necessarily for you. Guess what? They're for whom? Others. Because we have been placed on this planet for a purpose to serve him and ultimately serve those around us. So these precursors of what God is trying to prepare for us in advance, because he's already prepared them, is for us to go out and bless those around them, around us. It's not for ours, for our edification, for, for us. It's for others. What if your struggling marriage is the opportunity for you to bless other marriages? What if the job you're currently in that you complain about all the time Not you guys. I'm talking about other people. You guys don't complain about your jobs. And neither do I. But other people, when they're they're struggling about that job that they have, what if that struggle is what you need to go through for God to place you where he's called you to be? And because he's not finished with you yet, he's trying to teach you some things through that. And because sometimes, again, I'm not talking to you guys. I'm just talking to me and other people. We're hard-headed. We don't want to change. We think that it's all about us. And we just want things to be comfortable for us, right? We, We stay stuck. And there's no advancement because we're choosing to take these things and not listen to what God has for us. What if... This is just all part of his plan. 
And that's it. Nothing else. It's just part of his plan. There are plenty of real life examples around us that point to this very truth. And so I want to take a look at Matthew chapter 14 so that we can rediscover what's in there and perhaps look at this chapter in a different light, knowing the what ifs. So in Matthew 14, chapter 1, it says that at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard news about Jesus. Full disclosure really quick. Um, I struggle with speaking, believe it or not, and I've struggled for many, many years. And I, I feel like I've had a speech issue, and so there are words that are very difficult for me to say. The Tetrarch word? I don't know how many times I practiced it. Because I'm like, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to embarrass myself in front of everybody because of my, and I don't know, I, I think I, I mean, I kept hearing it like Tetrarch, Tetrarch, all right, just anyhow. So these are some of the insecurities that I struggle with that, uh, you know, sometimes we have to overcome by his grace that we overcome to step out in faith. And so it says that at that time, Herod heard the news about Jesus and said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. And that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now imagine you're with Herod, right? You're with Herod, you're in his inner circle. And Herod, and he's being told about Jesus and that he's doing this or that. Yeah, you got some person in there who seems to know it all you know them he seems to know it all and he's saying no this is what's going on and Herod's like oh no that's that can't be Jesus it's John and he says it, it like like it's a matter of fact because you've seen with your own eyes that Jesus is who Jesus is and it's not John the Baptist right so you're you're sitting there and you're like uh wait a minute Herod uh, it's not John, it's, it's really Jesus, but you keep your mouth shut because you know, like, if you contradict Herod, something's about to go down. Now think about that because in our world today, we go through the very same thing, right? You have folks with power, you know what's really true because you saw with your own eyes and yet we stay silent because it's like, well, I can't contradict the boss or I can't contradict whoever's in charge, right? But he says that it's not, it's not John the Baptist. But you know it's not John the Baptist. So as soon as you hear Herod say, this is John the Baptist, we just say, yes, sir, it sure is. <laughs> Amen. It's John the Baptist. That sure is John the Baptist for freer of what may happen to us. Should we even dare to contradict what those in power may say, right? Think about it. How much different are things today? Not much different. How much misinformation we may agree with, even if the truth is staring us right in the face. A person in power shares what he or she believes is to be true, and many of us go right on believing it, for whatever those reasons may be. I guess the cool thing here is that we at least do know that Herod believes in the resurrection because he thinks that John was resurrected. Sweet. I'll, I'll take that as a good thing. He believes in the resurrection. Let's go on to verse 3. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. Verse 4. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Verse 5. 
although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, you guys know the story. He had a birthday party. He said, hey, beautiful woman. I'm kind of paraphrasing here. I'll give you whatever you want. And that lady was like, hey, mom, what do you want? And mom's like, let's get John. For whatever reasons those may be, I have my own, my own ideas of why that happened and hap- or, or, or why it happened, excuse me. And there are many possibilities of why they, that may have happened. But the, it says here in verse 9 that although he was grieved, this is Herod, he commanded it to be given because of his oath and because of his dinner guest. How many of you have been pressured to do something that you did not want to do, but because of who was around you and who may kind of think less likely of you or what, you know? I mean, we're all, we're all in some of those positions. And sometimes when we decide or make that choice to do the wrong thing, man, it, it kind of eats at us, right? I, I know it does of me. It's happened before. So verse 10, he says, he sent and had John beheaded in the prison and his head was brought on a silver platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother. His disciples came and took away the body and buried it and they went and reported it to Jesus. So now here's Jesus. He hears the news of John. And during my research, I I believe it says that that was his cousin, you know, and so now um, I don't know if, if you guys have some really close cousins. I know that I do. So if, you know, picture that one of your closest cousins is, you know, murdered or, or whatever the case may be, think of the sorrow that that might have, that might go through you. But there's so much to be said here for the sake of time. I'd like to point out a few truths. Sometimes when you speak God's truth, not your own opinion or your own interpretation of what we think God is saying, to benefit our own ambitions or our own desires, there may be heavy consequences to pay. We know that despite the power Herod had, John was willing to speak God's truth to Herod despite the cost. Despite the cost. Even family or close friends may not give you the best advice that leads to paths of righteousness, sometimes because of their own ambitions and selfish motives, they may ask you to do something contrary to God's word. Sometimes we be, it's possible that we may be more interested in pleasing man than pleasing God. Some of the best advice I ever got as an early believer was like, Take your eyes off of the man because the man is going to disappoint you. The man, we're oftentimes full of pride, our ego, our own selfish ambitions. And sometimes the heart of man is not necessarily aligned with God's heart. And we're all guilty of that, all of us. And so we have to be careful when we're following man and listening to man because their heart may not be aligned with God's heart. So we know that now that John is beheaded. We know that now, right, in the story. And the king of kings hears what happened to John. He hears about it. And some may think, well, here we go. God is going to get Herod. Get him back, God. Because right, because that's how we think. We're like, what? 
You did something bad, God get them. What, you did something bad to my loved one, God get them. Right? I mean, that's, a, that's a, sometimes a natural reaction to when someone causes pain to someone that we really love. That's a natural kind of thing that happens. Not necessarily godly, let me tell you that, but that's kind of where our heart goes sometimes. And some may think, some may think that Jesus is going to take care of that guy, right? That's, that's kind of what goes through my mind. But that's not what Jesus does. Let's take a look. So he hears John is beheaded, and then this is what Jesus does. In verse 13, he says, Now when Jesus heard about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. Now when Jesus heard about John, we hear that he withdrew. He went to a secluded place by himself. And we can only speculate what Jesus did when he withdrew to a secluded place. And I believe that one simple assumption is that he went to pray. And I, and I can make this assertion because almost any time that Jesus was alone or he withdrew, it was because it was time to pray. It was time for him to connect with the Father. And in an article published by To Every Nation, they say that there are six, six things, excuse me, that Jesus did when, when, when he made the decision to be alone. One, to prepare for a major task. So as I share these things, think about perhaps when we need to withdraw or remove ourselves from a situation or circumstance because I know that when I experience pain, when I experience heartache, when I experience these things, more often than not, it leads to frustration on my part. And I end up reacting in a negative way where I end up hurting sometimes the people that I love the most, which is, you know, my wife in this case, or my kids, or at work, some of the people that I really care about because my emotions get in the way. So he says to prepare a major task. And in Luke 4, verses 1 through 2, and 14 through 15, it says, after Jesus was baptized, he spent 40 days praying in the wilderness. Why? Because what was about to happen, he was tempted by Satan after this. And it, that's when he began his public ministry. So that's one. Two, to recharge after hard work. In Mark 6.30, he says, Jesus sent the when he sent the 12 disciples out to do ministry, when they returned, he encouraged them to separate from the people who were following them to rest. Three, to work through grief. In Matthew 14, this is what we just learned. After he learned from John the Baptist, when he was beheaded, he went away by himself. He withdrew. Four, before making an important decision, in Luke 6, 12 through 13, early in his ministry, Jesus spent the whole night alone in prayer. The next day, he chose his 12 disciples. Five, in times of distress, Luke 22, 39 through 44, hours before Jesus was arrested, he went to the Mountain of Olives to pray. And he distanced himself. He was in great emotional agony knowing what was about to happen, which was the crucifixion. And then six, to focus on prayer, Luke 5, 16, 
Many times in Jesus' ministry, he spent time alone in prayer. I think there's, there's something to be said about that. And I know that I have often found myself that when I'm going through such struggles, finding the time, or let me rephrase that, making the time to spend alone with him, man, that makes all the difference. So here we have John the Baptist beheaded. What a terrible situation we find ourselves in and the disciples find themselves in. And out of this moment of deep sorrow for Jesus and his disciples, I'm sure there was much pain caused. Perhaps doubt and fear of what Herod could do to them. Wow, if he can do that to John, what about us? What could happen to us? We really don't get to hear about their fear or what could happen to anyone else, but the reality is that it's very possible that something similar could happen to them. But again, what if God had a plan all along? And out of this terrible outcome, let's, let's see what God does. Verse 14, when he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. So Jesus just found that his cousin was beheaded probably in agony, retreats to pain, but understands that there's a group of people around him that need what? Healing. And what does he do? Heals them. I don't know about you. I don't know if that's the first thing I'm going to do after I'm hearing about my cousin, right? Because when we hear bad news, oftentimes we retreat, and oftentimes it's like, hey, I just want to be alone. I don't want anybody to bug me. Don't come talk to me. Don't come say anything to me. I've just experienced some great sorrow. And Jesus says, now nah, I'm going to spend some time healing folks. Verse 15, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate. In other words, there's nothing around here. And the hour is late already. So send the crowds away that they may go into the village and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said, we, we only have five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Ordering the people to sit down at the, on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up to heaven, he blessed the food, breaking the loaves he gave to the disciples. And then the disciples gave it to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They picked up what was left over, broken pieces, 12 baskets full. There were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. So again, great sorrow he decides, hey, I'm going to heal. Now I'm going to feed. Verse 22, immediately after that, his disciples got into a boat ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he came there alone, but the boat was already a long distance from the land. Battered by the waves, the wind was in con contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke saying, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. And then Peter says to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to walk on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, came towards Jesus. But of course, he kind of started getting a little scared. And he's like, man, save me, Lord. And immediately Jesus says, snatch him out of his hand and took him a hold of him and 
said to him, you have little faith, why you do you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, certainly you are the Son of God. Verse 34, when they crossed over, they came to the land, and when the men of place recognized him, he sent word into all the surrounding areas, and he brought them all who were sick, and they implored him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as were touched were healed or were cured. Again, Jesus is beheaded. I'm sure all those that are close to him are crushed. They're in disarray. Jesus retreats, and some of those most crazy miracles occur right after that. Multiplying fish, healing a bunch of people. Peter walks on water, and people just by touching his cloak are healed. Sometimes, sometimes, in some of our greatest sorrows can come the greatest miracles. If you are going through trouble, get ready. If you've been experiencing trouble, get ready. Because I believe that God is about to do something great in you. And more importantly, do something great through you. Not for your own, you know, but so that you could be a blessing to others. And so the only thing that I have for you today, as far as like the points and, and if you do this and if you do that, then this will happen. You know, I'll, you know, all those things. If there's anything that I'd like to leave you with, withdraw like Jesus did and pray. And pray. So that no matter what circumstances you're facing, like him, you could begin to prepare yourself. Santosh, if you don't mind coming up here, because what I'd like to do is that is to say that some of us or some of you might be going through some trouble right now. And so the question is, how can we pray for you? What, what can we as a church body pray for you for? Because all of us could be going through something. And sometimes you just need somebody to partner up with you and just bring some encouragement, perhaps remind you of God's hope, perhaps remind you of what God can do for you and more importantly, through you. So some of you might be going through that right now. So how can we pray for you? And so if we have any ministry leaders, you know, here, or if anybody can, we can come up here to pray. Or perhaps we just need, why don't we just do this? Why don't we just stand as Santos sings? Let's go ahead and stand. And we're just going to do this together real quick. Why don't you put, you know, your hand on the person next to you on their shoulder or, or something there. So the question is... If you're going through some trouble right now, how can you stand in the gap for someone else? Because again, we're going through the trouble. Jesus went through the trouble. And 
yes, he withdrew, he went to pray, but then he began to serve. And I have found that in my times of troubles, and in my times of setbacks or frustration, whatever the case may be, I have found the most healing in my life when I begin to serve others, when I begin to pray for others, when I begin to stand in the gap for other people, because it reminds me of what God can do. And it continues to grant me courage and strength. And so, Father, right now, we just put our hand on the person besides us, Father. You know their need. You know what they're going through. You know their heart's desires. You know where they're at right now. And so, Father, we just ask you, Lord, that you would come on their behalf and that you would reveal yourself even more for the plan that you have for each and every single one of us and what that purpose is for your kingdom. Father, we confess that we don't put you first always, that we begin to think about our own way of doing things. And so right now, we just ask that you forgive us of that. And we ask you, Father, that you would begin to help us see the things that you want us to see and do the things that you want us to do, not for our own benefit, but to serve you and those that you love, the people that you've put in front of us. And so, Father, we just ask you, Lord, that you continue to help us through that. Father, I pray for your strength. I pray for your courage. I pray for your unending grace and mercy that we don't deserve, but you freely give so that we can continue to be a people that not just loves you, but loves others. And not because of what we say, but because of what we do. Thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name, let's go. Let's worship.
So, Father, we just want to say thank you. Thank you that in the midst of revelation um, and perhaps pointing out some things in our own lives that should draw us closer to you, that you still love us and you still care about us and you still make all things work together for our good. And we thank you so much, Father, for every opportunity that you've given us. Father, forgive us of the doubt, just like Peter, um, because you, we know, Lord God, that with, all, with you, that all things are possible. Thank you for your peace in the midst of troubles. We just ask you, Father, that you would continue to bless what we do for your glory. Father, I pray for your blessings over each and every person here, for our pastor and his family. Pray for your continued favor over them, for your people, for our elders and their families, for every person that's here watching online, for the people that are assigned to this church. We just pray, Father, that we would continue to do your will for your glory and your honor. Father, we thank you. And to that, we say amen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a blessed week, everybody. God bless you.